morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to be, have the privilege to bring God's Word this morning. My name is Neil Johnson. I'm the next-gen pastor here, and I love students. I love your students. I love the students in the community that aren't here, and uh, it's a joy to serve in this capacity at Berean. Today is a special day at Berean Community Church as we hold our first ever Fifth Family Sunday. You may have heard a little bit about it so far and might be wondering, what is this whole Fifth Family Sunday thing? Are they just canceling Children's Church just for the fun of it? No, we're not just canceling Children's Church for the fun of it. But we are intentionally taking approach of helping our young ones to engage in the family and the inner workings of the church. And, and so the, the idea behind Fifth Family Sunday is to uh, take that fifth Sunday, that we have four of them each year, and to intentionally gear it towards family. And so today's message, we got some fun stuff. we got some fun things, and I actually forgot my object lesson down there. I'll get it in here in a second. Uh, <laughs> okay, toss it. Whoa, okay. You might be wondering, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure you're wondering. Um, But this is core to our convictions here at Berean, where we are not just about pursuing God, preparing people, and proclaiming Christ, but I like to add a little modifier for our little people, okay? In our vision, we are all about helping little people know how to pursue God, preparing little people to walk faithfully in their gifting, and proclaiming Christ in a way that little people can understand. So today, I'm going to be speaking plainly in ways that our littlest kids, Rosie over there, can even understand. And uh, just a way that would connect, because that's how Jesus spoke. Jesus used very uh, basic examples. He used things from agriculture. He he used things that, that people would understand. And so uh, this morning, it's geared towards everybody, but every person will be able to pull something out of this, this this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me to John 11, where we find an important story of Jesus showing up late to greet two broken-hearted sisters who had lost their brother after he was sick. Pay careful attention to how he uh, responds uh, very differently to both of them and asking, uh, them asking Jesus some questions. Kids, where are you at? Kids, I want to see you. Raise your hand. All right, I see you guys. Um, kids, I'm going to need your help. Will you, are you willing to help me? Yeah, all right. Awesome. I'm going to need your help in a little later in the service to show uh, what is happening in the story. So I need a little help from our kids uh, today. So pay attention and be ready to repeat after me when I ask you to. And I'll give instructions later of how that's going to work. But what we need to understand this morning, and this is everyone, what everyone needs to understand this morning is that God's words have power over death. And we need to take God at His word. So God's words have power over death, and we need to take God at his word. I'll share with you three discoveries from this story that help us to see the power of Jesus' words. 
over death. Believing the words of God can help us to overcome the sting felt when someone close to us dies. I'm not oblivious to the fact that there is flowers for a funeral happening later this afternoon. That I got a text yesterday from one of my leaders. His grandfather just passed away. That the sting is still there. But believing the words of God can help us to overcome the sting felt by someone close to us who dies. But believing the words of God can help us claim the victory when it seems that uh, the victory by death has been there. And what we drive towards is hope. And that's where I want to land this morning is that we have hope. Hope for today. Hope for those that have passed. But hope for eternity. Now discovery number one is that Jesus is full of surprises. If you look at the story of uh, Lazarus and being raised from the dead, man, it is chock full of surprises. You read through the Gospels and you see surprises at every turn. You expect one thing and you get another. But here Jesus uh, takes this as an opportunity to share his uh, uh, greatest of the I am statements. We didn't read it, but uh, he, he lays out the I am statement that is a reversal of death. Reversal of the most powerful force that we can know of. Reversal of the fate of every man. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is powerful. It might seem strange that grieving Martha, the the, the first one to to receive Jesus after he's late, takes a couple days to get there, it takes a couple days longer intentionally, might seem strange to the grieving Martha at, at, at this is the worst day of her life. Every person she has ever known has passed and has stayed dead. Now, her brother, who she loves, and she knew Jesus loved too, faced this inevitable fate. Jesus came too late from her estimation. She knew that if he came, he could heal her. That Jesus was known for being a walking medical wing. That he would go into towns and he would heal everybody. People would come up to and touch him and be healed. People would go, Jesus would go to places and he would heal them. She knew about the power that he had over sickness. But she didn't quite understand yet the power that he had over death. She had seen his healing power, but she hadn't experienced it firsthand. His authority over death. But Jesus surprised her. He surprised her here with what might seem, it might seem insensitive, where Jesus turns it around and says an I am statement, a reflection of who he is. But it's telling about what to do. About what he is about to do. You know, many of Jesus' surprises throughout the gospel point to his divinity, which means... He is God. 
And we see uh, the, the two different responses that Jesus has to these two sisters. The first response, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone. This is an invitation to anyone. We see the other response to the other sister was, take me to him. After he had done, after he was weeping. It might seem like a surprise that he gives two different responses to the same question. But I think within the text it's very clear that Jesus is doing something intentional, pointing to both his divinity, that he is God, that his Godness, He's also pointing to his humanity in these two responses. That he is fully God and he is fully man. We see this where Jesus comforts these grieving sisters. That he's not an ordinary man, but he is God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Discovery number two. This story isn't only about Lazarus. You know, you think about what place he's in fitting into this story. You know, Lazarus gets the title a lot of times. But this story is not really about Lazarus. If you put yourself in the place of Lazarus within this story, he's dead. He's got nothing going on. He doesn't have anything to report later. And there's a lot of speculation or questions as to where is Lazarus and what's he, is he having a a view of things that are going on? But when Jesus arrives, Lazarus is, is dead. He isn't there listening and taking notes. He is still an important part of what is happening. But from his perspective, he goes from being super sick to waking up. Could you imagine that experience? Man, I was sick. Oh, worst day of my life. Oh, died. And then, hey, waking up and seeing, what happened? I'm sure they had to inform him of what had just happened. You just raised from the dead, dude. That's amazing. Also, from his perspective, he might be upset, having tasted eternity, and he's being called back to live again. Oh, man. Imagine standing before the throne room of God and then being called back. Whew, that must be tough. This story is about the sisters. Two grieving sisters who are going through the different stages of grief, where they may have gone through disbelief that this is even happening. They may be angry at some point, frustrated. Obviously, they're frustrated at Jesus, feeling the deep sorrow and loss of their brother. But ultimately, they had accepted which is the last stage of grief. So you come to a place of acceptance that death was the final blow for their brother Lazarus. They'd come to the place of acceptance. So they came to Jesus with their sorrows and even a complaint and said, if you were only here earlier, my brother would have been healed. If you were only here earlier, you could have saved him. Yes, this story isn't necessarily about Lazarus because it's really about all of us. When he he says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
That's the second response he has, or the first response he has to Martha. In fact, this story is about us. The whoever Jesus is referring to, that includes you. That includes me. When Jesus says whoever, that's an open invitation to everybody, right? That everyone he talks about who lives and believes in him will never die. That is the promise Jesus gives. Here, we must take God at his word. Jesus gives us a promise. I want to ask you today, Christian, are you holding on to that promise? Are you holding on to that promise that he is the resurrection and the life? That anyone who believes in me will never die? You can imagine in the context of this story, it might be difficult for her to understand because Lazarus is still dead. We move on to discovery number three. Is that Jesus has the power in his words and his weeping. The second response is the shortest verse in the New Testament. If you're ever in a verse-off with somebody, which when I was in middle school we had verse-offs, where somebody would share a verse, then somebody else would share a Bible verse, and then without fail, somebody would get to uh, verse uh, John 11. 35. Jesus wept. That's the easiest one, okay? If you want to get a jump start on your Bible memory, start with John 11:35. But Jesus wept. Jesus shows his power in his words and his weeping. His power that he is able to sympathize with these women, that he felt the loss. Lazarus was like him to family. They were close. Because when they first called to Jesus, they said, the, the, the one that you love is very sick. Come quick. And I think Jesus intentionally waited so that he could display his power. But we see Jesus has power over death in his words and his weeping. When he first comes in verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And this is to Martha. And she didn't take him at his words. She said, well, yeah, all of us. All of us are going to be raised on the last day. We know that. She's got great theology. She's got great doctrine. She knows how it all works together. And that's where her mind goes. But she doesn't think that this is a present reality that Jesus is going to raise her brother from the dead. You know, another aspect of this scripture and this story that is often overlooked is verse 33. Jesus has power in his words and it says that he groans. Okay? Verse 33, Jesus saw her weeping and let out a groan. Ugh! And actually, the English translation of let out a groan, it wasn't like getting up off the couch and going, ah, I think I'm going to go get a hot dog or a sandwich. No. Jesus wasn't groaning. He was angry. It was an angry groan. 
When Jesus came to the scene, he wept and he groaned. And the, all of the English translations actually struggle with this one. <laughs> because there's a force behind it. There's a frustration that Jesus has. And he's not frustrated with these girls for not getting it. He's frustrated. He cries out towards death. Oh, I love Lazarus! I love him! And I'm so sad that he's gone. My heart breaks that Lazarus, my good friend, is not with us anymore. So he wept and he groaned. Now, for this next part, I'm going to need my assistance. Um, I haven't prepared anyone, but kids. It, are, are any kids willing to come up and, be, and help me with an illustration? Okay, I got uh, Jacoby, Sam, and then Graham. All right. And Rosie, come on up. Come on up. All right. I got four. Now, three of you, three of you are going to be the tomb. Okay, Rosie, do you want to be a tomb or do you want to be Jesus? Okay, we're not. Jesus isn't a part of the story. Okay, so we're going to have, uh, we, we need one of the guys to be Lazarus. Who wants to be Lazarus? Okay, you're Lazarus. Come here. All right. Now, I need the three of you to stand in a row right here. Right here. F- face. Yeah, sure. Okay. You could be a part of the tomb too. Okay. All right. So I need you guys to stand in a line. Okay. Stand in a line right here. Uh, right here. Come here. Come here. Good, good, good. Okay. So, and then you are Lazarus and you are going in the tomb because you're dead, dude. Okay. There we go. Now, I need everybody else to turn around and help wrap uh, Lazarus. Okay. Can you wrap him up? Wrap him up real good. Okay. And as you guys are wrapping up, uh, in, uh, I'll give a brief explanation. Uh, great job. <laughs> in, bi- in biblical times, uh, they didn't have modern conveniences for preserving bodies. You guys doing all right? Okay, keep going. Good job. All right, can we give a round of applause for these guys? They're doing a great job. Way to go, way to go, way to go. Okay, so in biblical times, they didn't have modern conveniences to preserve bodies, so they would wrap them in cloth, and they would add spices to the body. Hey, you guys are doing great, but I need you to keep it down. Okay. Um, they would add spices to keep the body from stinking. So kids, I need you to wrap, uh, uh, wrap Jacoby up uh, in cloth like they did in biblical times. Uh, then, once you are done, I need you... Uh, I need the rappers to stand up like you guys are the tomb. And, and so he's going to hide behind you. Does that make sense? Okay, sounds good. And as they're doing this, uh, I, I need all the kids. Kids, where are you at? Say hi. <laughs> can, I, can I say hi, kids? Hey, kids. Okay, all right. Um, kids, I, I need to practice with you. I need you guys. Well, kids and adults can do this too. I need everybody to say after me, Lazarus, come out. out. Awesome, awesome. Good practice. All right, I need a tight tomb. Okay, so my tomb, my four tomb people, I need you guys to stand here, face me, wave at the people, say hi. Okay, awesome. And then Lazarus, you're dead, so I need you to get down. Okay, good job, good job. Okay, all right. And then after we say the last one, so we're going to do four, and then you can come out, okay? All right, so... I need everybody 
to call out Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come out! At the words of Jesus, Lazarus' heart began to beat again. Everybody say, Lazarus, come out! At the words of Jesus, Lazarus' lungs began to breathe. Everybody say, Lazarus, come out! At the word of Jesus, Lazarus' body started to move again. Everybody say, Lazarus, come out! At the word of Jesus, Lazarus, who was dead, came alive. Come on, Jacoby! Yeah, let's give it up! All right, I... Jesus gives the next instructions, okay? This is from verse 44. The Bible says, The man who had been dead came out and his hands and his feet were bound, well, kind of, okay, um, with strips of linen and his face was wrapped in cloth. Let's get that. Yeah, there you go. Okay. (laughs) Then Jesus instructed them to unwrap him and let him go. So, guys, help, help, help. All right. Awesome, awesome. All right. All right, let's give it up for our volunteers. All right, good job, good job. Jesus instructed them to unwrap him and to let him go. It's important to see this story in context because soon after, Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. Yeah, good, good, good. Soon after that happened, Jesus was headed to Jerusalem where He would face His own tomb. We see Jesus going to face death, a brutal death on a cross. And that just like Lazarus was wrapped in the, in, in the burial cloths, so was Jesus wrapped in the burial cloth after he was crucified. And he was laid in the tomb. And this whole series that Nathan was sharing from, you know, the stories of the New Testament of all these people, lives changed. From doubter to disciple. I didn't write all of them down, but they're out there. And today we go from mourning to merriment because of what Jesus has done. This is a turning point in the Gospel story where Jesus would go to Jerusalem after this to be crucified, then laid in a tomb. Because of His willing sacrifice, our mourning becomes merriment. And when we come to Him in faith, trusting Him as the Lord of our lives, we can know that death does not have the final word. We know in this story that Jesus has the final word. My wife, Caitlin, pointed to me to a children's book that's in our library in the Little Lamb's Room. 
And it's on the shelf and it's titled, No More Goodbyes. And I didn't even have to read it to like start tearing up a little bit. Because it's beautiful. It's Jesus hugging these two sisters. And I don't know whether it's Jesus hugging the sisters after. I'm guessing uh, their faces are smiling, so I'm guessing it's after. But it has a beautiful picture inside. A beautiful understanding of when Jesus went into Jerusalem and that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf and that Jesus rose from the dead conquering death for all who believe. That we all can go from a place of mourning to merriment and getting back to that book, there are no more goodbyes. I know today we will say goodbye to Bill. And I know we will mourn losses because that's life. But because of the hope that we have rooted in Christ, we can know that there is a day that's coming that there are no more goodbyes. We don't have to say goodbye anymore because He promises eternity to all who believe. All we need to do is to take God at His Word. That God's Word has the power over death. He calls us out by name. Do you notice that? About Lazarus, He calls him out by name. He calls each one of us out of death by name. So that we can live as free people. No longer bound by the curse of sin and death. I think of this cloth that was covering Jacoby. Poor kid. But (laughs) it wasn't that bad. No longer bound by the curse of sin and death. Death had no claim on him. The Gospel of John teaches us. And our burial clothes have been taken away if we trust in his name. Now I want to finish in the same place that the Gospel writers finish. In John 20, verse 31. And Jesus actually makes reference to this. Toby read it for us. But this, yeah, Toby. (laughs) Big Toby read it for us. Okay. John 20, verse 31. And this is where it gets personal. Jesus said, but those are, these are written so that you may believe. Actually, this is not Jesus. This is John the Gospel writer. He said, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wow. What a power-packed statement. All of these stories... And the verse before this talks about the stories that are not mentioned. Jesus healed other people and it's not recorded. Jesus may have raised other people from the dead. It's not recorded. Like I said, he was a walking hospital. Every town he went into, people touched him and got healed. There were many more miracles that Jesus performed. But these are written so that you may believe and that That Jesus is the Christ. That He is the Son of God. 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to ask you today, do you believe? He asked the sister, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? Is it just fancy ideas? Is it just a social group that you subscribe to? Is it a, just a fun thing to do? Or do you actually believe this? And the effect is that by believing, just as Lazarus came to life, you may have life in his name. So my prayer for each one of us is that you might experience the resurrection. That you may experience a resurrected life and might walk in the freedom that Jesus brings. And my heart resonates with Paul from Philippians 3.10. He says this, My one goal. He's looking back at the Gospels and he's looking back at the big picture and he says, My one goal is that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul looks forward to. That's what we need to look forward to. Our one goal is to know Him. To have a personal relationship with Him. And to experience the power of His resurrection. And may share in His suffering. It's not easy walking with Jesus. It's not easy following Jesus every day. We want to share in His suffering. We want to become like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. My prayer is that same thing for us. That we might walk in that. We pray with me. Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word that brings us life. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of Scripture, the words of Christ, that you are, in fact, the resurrection and the life. And Lord, help us to believe. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and meet with us. And Lord, as we enter into this last song of worship, may it season our hearts and engage our minds. Lord, we thank you for your resurrection that you did with Lazarus. We thank you for the resurrection that you did from the grave. We thank you for turning our mourning to merriment, that we can attain the resurrection and we can have hope only found in you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.